0: Welcome to The Few Podcast. Never in the field of human content, was so much owed by so many to
1: so few. So you want to become one of The Few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. Hear
2: inspiring stories from The Few and learn about what it takes to turn your dreams into a reality.
1: It's a day for all Australians, isn't it? It's a day that brings us all together. Marvel. Four. Three. your hosts, Boo and Sean.
0: Well, Shorty, I'm super excited about today's episode of The Few. We have Jordana Borenstein on the podcast today, and what I am really excited about is I had the opportunity to speak to Jordana before the podcast, and I think she pretty much agreed to sing and share with us uh, some stand-up as part of this podcast. Absolutely. It'll definitely be the first time we have someone doing comedy on
2: this other than our (laughs) Poor attempt at comedy, I think. So we're actually really looking forward to it. And welcome, yeah, Jordana. That's
0: actually a good point. I'm looking forward to, to seeing whether I can actually be funny. Uh, oh, so okay. Maybe something you'd like with this that. for all of us.
1: Thanks, Jordana. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I love that um our conversation of like being funny turned into me doing stand-up. So you're very creative. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you're standing what up right now. We're Is all laughing.
0: It's I think it's all I think it's all good. It's all good. So Jordana, tell us a little bit about what it's like living your life's purpose day in, day out.
1: Oh, wow. Where do I begin? Well, I think my life's purpose at its core is to bring joy to others. That is what fuels me. That's what drives me. And that's what I love the most. And I was able to actually put that into practice when I became a comedian, which actually happened because I went out on a really bad date. Huh? Every cloud has a beautiful silver lining.
2: Well, I mean,
0: we can't, you can't leave that there. That's story, clearly. Yeah. You've got a, And as you said before, you've got a pretty small, small window there for, for men that you're willing to date with a single syllable last name. Right. So you're going to obviously have a few adventures when you bring the checklist down to that sort of tight level.
1: You're giving away all <laughs> of our pre-chat secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was 28 at the time and most of my friends were married with kids and you know, the looming pressure of the, approaching your 30s then I went out on this date that was horrendous and it was like all of the things that you hear about like the photo didn't match the description I didn't know who I was looking for the qualities and characteristics were totally misaligned Um, not only did we not get along well but we ended up fighting and he was super hungover so slurring and slurring it was a disaster and I left going okay this is great so I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. I'm going to have to get like 50,000 cats in order to feel somewhat balanced. So I rang my best friend and I just, I had, I had no words because I was just like, oh my, I was just traumatized. And so I was just imitating him because he was so hungover and slurring. And so by the end, she's laughing and I'm like, "Mm, oh, I like that. So I rang another one, another one of my friends and I added in extra enthusiasm and extra exaggeration. And by the end, I was like hysterically, like laughing and crying. And so was she. And I was like, comedy is actually cheaper than therapy. And that felt brilliant. So I started to immerse in comedy books and comedy theory and comedy learning. And I was a journalist. And so I had a strong writing background. And really the skills are very applicable and anyone can become a comedian. And so then comedy became an outlet for anything that like frustrated me or upset me or angered me. And then it just became the most beautiful source of joy because to be in an experience where you bring light and you make someone smile and most of the best comedy, we're tapping into stuff that everybody experiences. So there was nothing wrong with me. If I'm up on stage talking about some issue I've got and the audience is laughing, I'm like, well, I'm fine.
2: So i was just say, yeah, it's cheaper than therapy. I suppose it's not only therapy for you, but it's therapy for the audience because you're talking about things that people can relate to. And that's, that, I guess that's why- But they, also the they courage
0: land. to be the one that's yeah. up there sharing those really deep, insightful stories that where there's an element of pain you know, in yourself. I mean, huge courage to do that. And isn't it interesting, Sean, again, we're seeing that epiphany, that one moment in time that so many of the few have where their life transitions, but they have the, the foresight and the courage to pursue that and and run with it. So tell us a little bit about life before that, Jordana. What was life before this horrendous date that you changed your whole life after?
1: So life before that was, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian originally. And then I started doing like science and stuff. And I was like, I can't understand physics. No way. So I did a complete (laughs) flip around and got immersed in creative arts and loved creative writing. And I was like, I want to be a journalist. And then I... Got a cadet ship at the Herald Sun, which was incredible because every day was different. So it was fast paced and exciting. And we did like stints on MX and Sunday Herald Sun. And I just, I love that. And I fell in love with music journalism. And I then, after a couple of years there, went to New York to try to pursue, you know, music journalism at its peak. And I got a copywriting job, which was like the nine to five. And then I did music journalism times and weekends. And that was the dream. But I went in 2008, 2009. I mean, what a great year to decide to go! Mm. So then I came mm. back, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd made um, brilliant contacts with band managers and stuff. So I was photographing artists, and I love Nova, Nova Radio Station. Hughie and Kate were my favourite comedians of all time, and I'm interviewing. I was sorry, I was, I was photographing this band, and I see this guy in a Nova jumper, and I run up to him, and I'm like, "I love Hughie and Kate, and I love music, and I'm a journalist." I'm blah 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 blah, blah. and it happened to be when they were building out their websites and so I got a job as the national online music editor and so then that sort of turned into the social media manager, content producer and I worked on music online um, across across the country and it was the most incredible role and then I finished there working with UZNK. So I lived a dream in terms of being able to work with them Every morning in the studio, which was just for a comedian, in a comedian was just like the absolute dream.
0: I think you need to keep rewinding here because this is already living a dream job already. Yeah, already straight out of school. So let's go back even more. It seems then. like there was a
2: few, a few dreams that you're living, and then there was the next one, and then there was the next. Yeah. one there was, there was quite a few.
0: I mean, most people working for a radio station, being involved in. In producing that sort of content, hanging around in that environment. So let's let's just keep rewinding. So from a vet to becoming a journalist. I, what we
1: I, <laughs> wait? Can what we we say, was, I
0: wasn't a vet.
1: I thought no, I wanted to be. It's right. it's let's just clarify that. I don't
0: have a degree. So we've had a, some recurring themes. Where around the age of 13, 14, 15, we see people of living these diversified, rich lives. There's sort of. Something sort of happens around that age or some they get like this idea that seems to stick and this tenacity to stick with it. Where did this sort of tenacity and risk taking come from? Because a lot of people wouldn't make that step into journalism. They wouldn't specialize in music and move to New York. And I mean, there's a, quite a lot of risk in what you're doing there. Every time you make a move, you're almost doing a career reset. So where did all this come from? Did you used to jump out of trees when you were you know, eight years old? No, I didn't.
1: And uh, I'm not actually very sporty. So I do have a limit to the risks that I will take. Athletics is not one of them at all. I don't know. I've always had amazing parents who supported my dreams, So I've always had that backing where I've had an idea and I know that I could go and be supported by the people around me. So that was always really important. And I just, you know, I like to get out of my comfort zone. Everything is about getting out of my comfort zone because that's when we grow the most. I mean, even though I loved comedy, loved it, stand up. Every single time the MC said, and now I'd like to welcome to the stage Jordana Bornstein," I was like, please don't me, please don't me, please don't me. Why did I do this? Why did I do this? And then <laughs> I get up there, I do my first joke, I get my first laugh, and I'm like, I love this. I don't want to be anywhere else.
2: That sounds like every time I'm just about to go on stage to speak in front of, you know, because I do speaking. So it's like, ah. Uh... And then you get out there and say, oh, okay, that's better. <laughs> it's almost like, I think it's a necessity. I think it's one of the Rolling Stones. That well, said let's it face it, it. It's like a drug. Come on.
0: It's the thrill that you get the minute that is. somebody so, so engages the, with something that you say. Yeah, as soon
2: as you're on there and you, you finally, you, you crack that first thing and you see that response, the light, you know, ding, the lights go on or whatever. But I think it was one of the Rolling Stones that mentioned, he said that, you know, the day that I get up on stage and I don't feel nervous beforehand is the day I need to give it up because I actually don't care enough about it. And that's that thing is if you actually do care about it. I think that's where that you know, anxiety and stuff comes from. So there's a, a path that I want to just you know, skirt, sort of step into at the moment. was one thing we talk about with our guests is around success. Now the word success can have varying meanings to different people, and the way people perceive it. What I'm talking about here is you know success in the context not of having the private jet and the Ferrari, but you know if that's what you want, fantastic, you and, can And be that's what the world's selling now. Yeah, I mean that's- that is.
0: That's unfortunately what people perceive as being
2: successful. As successful is, is, is the attainment of something, of when I do this or when I'm known for that or when I've got a bazillion followers on social media, then I'll be successful. What I'm talking about is that state, that state of waking up in the morning and feeling successful. Would you say that in your journey uh, through obviously different careers and now into what you're doing with uh, comedy plus you know supporting people with their social media and their messaging and things like that, do you see yourself to wake in the morning and go, I feel successful?
1: Yes, because I have... Achieved a lot. So, I, you know, I achieved the dream of wanting to become a journal. I, the the experience of working with Husie and Kate was a dream that was beyond my wildest imagination. I achieved the dream of doing two shows in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And then I decided I wanted to become a speaker and I achieved that dream. So, yes, I view it all as a success. However, over the last four years, I've gotten really into mindfulness and meditation. And what I realized was that for a long period of my career, I just went. Goal, achieve, goal, achieve, goal, achieve. Whereas I didn't actually take the time to reflect because I was so focused on just what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next.
0: Okay, but this is interesting, Jordana. And many of us who share this similar journey as you get more experience in life, we start that journey towards mindfulness. But do you believe when you are in your 20s, when you are striving to achieve these goals, I personally believe there's not a lot of space for that. I think you do have to be super duper goal orientated Your entire life force needs to be driving you to rise to the top of a pile where there's hundreds of other people who would love to have your job. I wish I was in radio and you're so lucky, but ultimately you made the sacrifices. You were absolutely goal-driven and now you've got the opportunity to reflect. Do you believe you can have mindfulness and, and reflection, but at the same time have the drive to get yourself to a point where you're allowed to have that
1: mindfulness, you have the time? Definitely, because what I've learned is that I can actually achieve more now with that space from mindfulness and meditation, even more than I was able to achieve before, because I have extra space to have that reflection and to know that I don't need to go at a million miles an hour in order to get this. You know, I can just, I can respond differently react differently i have more energy more energized generally every day so i don't regret it but i also wish that i learned it earlier in life
2: don't we all don't we all <laughs> actually we talked about a lot of these you know you you've managed to achieve this dream and achieve that goal and things like that and that sounds fantastic but surely there were situations where there were setbacks or failures or, or things that didn't quite go to plan other than uh, dates that ended up being a life-changing, uh, really positive life-changing uh, direction event. What's one of the setbacks or failures that you've experienced that, that had the biggest impact and how has that changed you or your direction or, or you know, how you see yourself?
1: So I don't want to sound cheesy, but I view all failures as you know, mistakes that we improve from. But no...
0: But did you see that have you always felt that way Jordana? did you feel that way when you were 2021 20, and you you saw failure or you felt that something went wrong or you got you copped criticism have you always felt that way or have you grown into failure is a way in which we succeed
1: I've grown into it because now I teach a lot of presentation skills training and public speaking and so it's one of the biggest things that I um like to actually teach my clients because we need to view everything that everything that's happened in life has led us to this point right which is why we have these messages to share but in my 20s, I was just so goal-oriented, there was no space. So it was, no, it was just like, if something happened, well, I'm not even going to focus on that. I'm just going to focus on what else I can do to achieve that particular dream. So you didn't invest in the failure.
0: I guess that's the key. You didn't invest or buy into it. And did you feel like every failure you had, you were able to apply a lesson moving forward? Or was it just like, nah, it's got to go
1: on regardless? Interesting. That's an awesome question. I probably didn't reflect enough. I probably just moved up. Well, that didn't work. Okay. What else is going to work? Well, that didn't work. Well, what else is going to work? But now I can look back and there's certain things like when I was trying to find my feet in comedy <laughs> before I actually became, before I realized that stand up was a good outlet for me, I was like, it was around the time of YouTube stars emerging and like they were all growing. And, and I was like, what if I create this alter ego called Lil George, L-I-L j-o-i-d-s and she raps about celebrities and i rapped about paris hilton and justin bieber and lady gaga and i did these i wore bling and i had i went to an audio producer's backyard and did these rhyming rapping videos with props and i tweeted them out to all the celebrities nobody answered me i had 25 people who liked my facebook page mostly friends and family And now they're all like, George, it was horrendous, but we just wanted to support your creativity. So that was like something that was a big lesson because it was terrible. It was a terrible idea, but so important for the execution of what I learned about video production and creativity and getting my ideas out there. So I look at that as a massive failure because I really learned that nobody wants to hear any rapping from me ever, which is why singing today is probably not a great idea.
2: Well, luckily you only had 25 fans because only 25 people can use that against you in the future at some point in time. So, uh, you know.
0: I know, I know. <laughs> no, but it's, it's something that you talk to, Sean, as part of your mentoring program as well. And it was something that took me a while to get comfortable with. And, and it's people who do great content, shoot great content, are able to communicate their messages succinctly. That's not something that you just learn to do overnight, is it, Jordana?
1: No, it takes a long time. And now I look back and I'm like, okay, well, in journalism i had to learn you have 15 minutes to do an interview so in those 15 minutes you've got to ask the right questions and you've got to deliver effectively so even that has nerves involved in the process and if you miss the question you miss the question and then in comedy you've got five minutes or you've got 10 minutes or you do a 55 minute show that's all about saying the right things and reading the energy so every single thing that i've done has led up to learning how to refine those messages and craft those messages and so yeah, everything's just been a journey that's, that's led to this skill set.
2: How much time, and I'm talking to preparation here, because one of the things that we see you know, as a theme in all the guests that we've had on is, is around having the ability to execute is driven by your ability to plan first. And how important is planning in your comedy and how much time, say, if you had to do a 10-minute a comedy piece or whatever it is, how much time does it take to prepare to get up and do that 10-minute piece?
1: <laughs> how long is a piece of string?
0: pretty long (laughs) but i guess you don't you don't you don't just get up on stage without any material without any preparation and just wing it for 10 minutes do you
1: i don't that's just not my style it's never been my style just because the joke structure the premise the punch i like it to be my personal style is observational and for me to actually write observational it requires a lot of thought and prep. observation Observation. exactly yes (laughs) But, you know, the funny thing is that when I do speaking, I always incorporate comedy because that's my edge. I like to educate and entertain. And so I bring joy to audiences. It's actually, even though I plan jokes for that, it's the moment which is the most spontaneous where I jump off the stage and we're having banter and someone says something. And that is where the real inner comedian just comes out. And that's the most beautiful, spontaneous stuff and always was with the live show. So I could plan, you know, I did 55-minute shows in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival the best bits, always, were the audience interaction and the unplanned stuff. So I think that's the magic of comedy is that, you know, the real stuff is is totally do, un- you,
2: do you feel at those times, that's when you would call it, you actually got into flow? And yeah, it was just, absolutely. It just was like kind of flowing through you. Yeah, I definitely find the same thing, you know, and my team give me grief over it a lot, which they probably should, is I have like an hour slot and I go like an hour over. And then they're like, how are we going to fit it in the day? Somehow I managed to fit it in. It's all good. But I can understand why they're stressed. And it's like, hey, we just need to give you more time. Pretend like there's an hour, but actually give you two. Because once you get into the flow and the, the value and the, the impact is coming out, it's just automatic. Like this doesn't require any effort at all, does it?
0: My head's exploding. I can't shut up because I've got. I just really want to ask something that I didn't <laughs> think about before. It just popped into my head while Jordana was just talking. One of the connections that we believe exists between being successful and, and being one of the small percentage of people that gets where they, they want to get to is, a, is their comfort with failure. And we spoke about it before, but I just thought, as a comedian, every now and again, you must be on stage and something absolutely bombs. Oh, yeah. How do you deal? That, is, that right there is very public failure, is it not?
1: Yes. So what was really interesting through my comedy career was that I had the highest highs and the lowest lows. And I could do entire festival of the same show in theory and the energy would be so different from moment to moment because if a mobile phone goes off or there's someone different in the audience or the band is a little bit different so it was a really it was the best training ground ever to become a speaker because it prepared me for anything that can happen in the speaking industry because comedy is so unpredictable like that so yeah it's a very it was (laughs) But what goes through your mind, like if you were to say
0: to someone a tip as a public speaking or, or someone has experienced very public failure, and in that moment, the shock and awe hits that person and they, they might be a CEO talking to, at a town hall to the entire organization. How have you prepared yourself for that? What do you do in practice to put that behind you and move forward? Is that something you consciously do or you're just equipped with this amazing skill to just keep going?
1: No, so what I now actually teach, one of the major lessons that I teach people with public speaking is to expect, number one, expect the unexpected because mistakes will just happen. And also to one of the lessons that I learned in comedy, which is so relevant to speaking is acknowledge the awkward. So if I've done a joke and it's fallen flat, I can't keep going because everyone in the audience is like, well, that was a terrible joke. Or, you know, if a mobile phone goes off or someone drops a plate and the speaker keeps speaking... Everyone else is totally out of it and distracted. So I like to teach people to, if something is going on that everybody is thinking and it's common knowledge, call it out. So if I've actually done a joke and it's gone badly, I'll be like, well, that didn't go well. (laughs) You know, or okay, clearly not the right audience for that. (laughs) Um, You know, so I'll I'll call it out now because everyone is just like, well, that was a terrible joke. So I got to tap in to what they're all thinking because if I don't, then there's a disconnect
2: so you're pulling back the attention aren't you your the attention's now been dispersed away from like what you're intending to do say there was a distraction or whatever you're now very tactfully and with humor pulling back everyone's attention back to where you are again to keep them on track and and i think that not just from a comedic perspective but people speaking in any context in front of people whether it's in front of their 6 team or 60 team or 6000 team it's the same and it's, it's definitely relevant and something I had to learn in my journey of sucking at speaking for a long time and, and feeling that massive awkwardness when something goes, and then like, where the frick do I go from here? And then actually realizing that you just got, as you said, you've got to, got to call, bring the attention to it and dilute it and go again, keep going.
0: And the reality is a lot of people aren't good at it, right? Like Jordana, Sean, we've all been at events where you've been, we've been a keynote speaker and you hang around, the CEO gets up there. And you watch it and you're like, wow, that person has just lost the entire organization in 45 minutes because none of that resonated with anyone. None of it was connecting and the energy was down here somewhere in the sewer. How transformational is a good leader's keynote or presentation to an organization, particularly if it's the annual launch, Jordana? How important is it
1: for the leadership to nail the message in that moment? super important because you know leadership comes from the top down and so we need to inspire we need to connect we need to use storytelling techniques we need to create those memorable emotional experiences because if we're not inspired by who's standing in front of us then that has a flow-on effect and a ripple effect
2: and it's less about information isn't it it's when someone's going to say someone do a 45-minute talk about some new initiative it's less about the detail isn't it it's more about as you said it's that in inspiration piece, you know, I mean, obviously, when you're training people in in speaking, how would you, you know, what would I say, two or three tips you would give to a business owner that's going to do that and talk to their team, in say structuring, say a forty-five minute introduction or, or meeting with their clients or speech speech to their clients, uh, to their their team members.
1: So I know that a lot of people use the word authenticity, but it's one of the most important things because in order for us to deliver effectively and in a way that really connects and resonates, we need to be totally aligned with our message. So. Number one is it needs to come from a place of passion. And if we're not connected and passionate about the message that we're delivering, the audience can pick up on that disconnect immediately. I mean, you guys have seen it before. So that is number one thing, is how do we connect with our passion? How do we realize well, what is it in us that's actually fueling this message? And then passion is contagious. So if we're really feeling the vibe, then that flows out to the audience. The energy that we bring is also really important. So smiling is super important. We need a smile. You know, even if our topic is serious, we don't have to be. So, you know, I often, you know, and when we engage the physiology, everything else flows. So when we smile, yeah, we feel better. We've got more than 44 muscles in the face. The whole body gets into it. and You know, if someone comes on the stage smiling, it just, it changes the whole energy of the landscape. And also storytelling is crucial. Storytelling is how we connect. We remember stories because they're emotional, whether they're educational or inspiring. So storytelling can be anything. It can be a short story, a long story. It's just something that really allows the audience to go, oh, okay, I can relate to that because often when we're sharing a story, we think that we're delivering a certain message and the audience might pick up on this, but there actually, there's a million different elements that they can connect with. So those are three quick tips.
2: I guess the, the guess the fourth one is to have more have more PowerPoint slides with lots of bullet points on them because that will be really
0: helpful oh, too. Oh wow! How's that? You know, and, and, and just and, read them off. You know, one at a time. And, and then the, I was never guilty of that. And uh, and making sure that you're putting uh, those points on the slides two minutes before you're about that's to speak. It, that's it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that is a royal disaster. You know, I feel sorry for PowerPoint because you know that phrase "death by PowerPoint." It's actually, it's unfortunately targeted at PowerPoint, but it's not PowerPoint's fault because if PowerPoint is used in a beautiful, visual, creative way, it's an amazing accompaniment. Whereas yeah, it's when, when a speaker goes, I'm just going to grab all my text and chuck it on the slide, then the audience is staring at the slide instead of the speaker. So it's not PowerPoint's fault. We love PowerPoint.
2: Yes, absolutely. And yeah. what I learned is to, to basically have like a couple of words or a line on there or a picture or a picture and, just, and you talk to it so, so that they can read it once and go, okay, and then said you want their attention, your eyeballs are going to be on you and not on, the, not on the PowerPoint presentation with the 97 bullet points.
1: I like to encourage people to use visuals creatively, you know, because the more of our senses we engage, the more engaged we are. So when we see a speaker, we're looking at them, we're seeing them visually, we're hearing them auditorially, if they're moving around, we've got that as well. So if we've got the visual stimulus, it's another way to keep them engaged and off their mobile phone. Whereas if it's full of text, then we've lost them.
2: Fantastic. And one thing we talked to is about is that, you know, business is, and life is a team sport. How important do you feel the people that effectively in your inner circle around you, how important are they to you personally? And have they been to your success and be able to develop and move forward? Obviously, obviously you obviously talked about your parents, but, you know, your circle of friends and things like that as well.
1: Super important because I have a lot of ideas. And so I've got a lot of like really non-judgmental, supportive, open-hearted sounding boards. I mean, even little George is the perfect example. My beautiful friends and family (laughs) all supported it, even though now we can all look back and go, well, that was a disaster, but it was a version of my creative expression, which they was just so happy that I got out. So yeah, I, you know, it's the, the circle of support from an energy perspective is really important from a belief perspective is really important. Um it's, it's, it's crucial to feel supported. But also, is, it's quite useful when you have
0: those ideas moving forward to have the trust within your circle where people can say, hey, look, that idea is a good one. This one, maybe test that out a little bit more uh, before you give it a go. Because one of the things I've observed, you know, particularly a large organization with 30,000, 40,000 people, is 30,000, 40,000 people having three or four great ideas every day is a recipe for absolute chaos. I mean, ideas are great, but good ideas that have a sustainable business model behind them are even more important. And I think one of the things I've always, I've found more so now than ever is I think I'm the I've got the best ideas in the world. But the good thing, good not always, yeah, definitely the, not the always. The good thing but... about working with Sean and other people that I work with business is they they'll certainly go yeah, well maybe that's not such a great idea, and you're like, yeah, maybe it's not. And to take that on the chin, uh, not not to take it personally.
2: Absolutely. So you've got fairly high energy and things like that. So you've come across as quite motivated and things, but where do you feel your motivation actually comes from? Like what what gives you motivation to get up there and do these new things and try these new careers and you know, all of that sort of stuff. Where does, where do you feel that comes from for you? Um,
1: I love bringing joy to others. That is amazing. I love, from a public speaking perspective, I love helping people connect with their confidence. It's one of the most beautiful things in the world to help them express their voice, express their expression, bring their ideas to life. You know, we all have amazing messages to share. We just sometimes have, and we all have limiting beliefs that stop us from being our full self. So to help people break that down so that they can be their best version of themselves is massive inspiration. And the feeling of making other people laugh is the most beautiful thing in the world, whether it's corporate, whether it's comedy, it doesn't really matter. Bringing joy into others and helping them smile is a major motivation. So a lot of what I do in terms of even just, I create a lot of fun videos for no purpose other than just to inspire creativity and make people laugh and bring a smile in and I have fun and they have fun. So I just, yeah, joy is one of my major motivating factors.
0: And how important is it to have joy in the workplace? I know in a lot of workplaces, everyone needs to be serious, right? And and I think people make a mistake and think that the inability to, to joke or be gentle with each other is seen as a sign of weakness and when people talk about well-being in the workplace how important is joy in terms of well-being in a workplace?
1: Well I think it's the most important thing because when we're learning especially in education when we're learning and laughing we're actually retaining the information at a much higher level and we're more productive when we're happier it's it's one of the most important things and I can just I know based on my experience of where I have worked in the different workplaces is I've had the best experience when it was the most fun workplace and when it was the yeah. most fun. Yeah. Has, anyone, has
0: anyone worked anywhere? Have you observed or worked anywhere where you've seen happy people where there's a bit of a joke and a bit of banter perform poorly? No. No, I've never seen it. But leaders often believe that, oh, hang on. If you're having a bit. I know when I was doing my fighter pilot training, I actually got written up for being too happy. <laughs> but I wasn't taking being a, being a fighter pilot. That I that I demonstrated a cavalier and nonchalant attitude towards flying. <laughs> and, and I said,
1: well, I said from well, a school report where do you type. get that
0: idea from? And they're like, every morning you walk up the stairs, you're always smiling to everyone. You're, you're saying hello. You just look like you don't care. It's like, And, I, and that stuck in my mind. But, and I was like, wow, I have to pretend to not be happy to make you happy. And forever, I've always thought that. Well, I've I don't always think they thought that would have
2: made them happy. I think it's about compliance with the standard.
0: Yeah, but come on. But that's across that's... so many organizations where if you see someone laughing at the water cooler, everyone's like, oh, you're not working. Get back there. You know, well, actually, I do say I have
2: seen one environment where the element of fun and stuff got so much, it was too ingrained and it was too liberal. And therefore, it started to actually impact performance because there's obviously a, a thing about getting the. The satisfaction in in hitting the goals and, and you know achieving the outcomes, but this organisation was a little bit too far on the fun side and playing ping pong a bit too much and stuff like that, and it actually took away from you know that that. There's such a thing point. as too much ping pong. Well, probably not, but, wow. uh, but <laughs> things weren't getting achieved. So in that sense, it was about making it a more structured you know times of that rather and keeping the fun going. But you've got to be careful it doesn't undermine the actual outcomes of anything you still have fun but also get satisfaction in achieving the goals too so one of the things that I always like to ask is about it's about overwhelm if you're if you're in a situation where there's you got a lot of you know balls in the air there's lots going on and you're starting to feel a bit oh there's a bit too much going on how do you reset how do you bring yourself back so that you can get back on track rather than wandering off into the wilderness you're back on your path and you're moving forward again how do you do that?
1: So I meditate every day. It's a non-negotiable item for me now, and I also love salt therapy. Have you guys done it? No, but I can see there's a salt lamp. There uh, it is. Yeah. Yes, I got <laughs> exactly. That's my little taster at the moment. I love salt therapy. I love cooking as well, and I love watching sunsets. And I pretty much just gave you my dating bio. I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we can put the link to Jordana's uh, profile at the, at, the, the single, at the end of the show and the single
2: <laughs> si- single syllable surname yeah. I think it was too so we can put that in there so well as they said the growth is on the other side of fear if we fear things it's usually not actually real it's something we've made up it's a story you know getting up in public speaking or doing comedy or whatever that people literally have that as a higher fear than dying in a lot of cases, and I see that even in my group, which is quite oh, a group a, of I'm comfortable sure, yeah. people.
0: Wow, you know? that's a <laughs> that's, there
2: is a statistic. Yeah. They've, they've done studies that people actually fear public speaking more. And it's like, well, and I get sometimes when oh, I hate getting, you know, I hate speaking in front of people. It's like, cool, get up on stage with me then. And after at the end of like, you didn't die, did you? And they're like, no. And they're like, oh, after it wasn't that bad. But a lot of the time, that fear is that projection of something bigger. And then once we finally do it, it's like, ah, oh, okay, well, it wasn't quite as bad as i thought it was you know? so mm, it's a really really powerful frame so i guess in wrapping up you know we want to say a massive massive thank you for coming on and sharing your story some tips on how to get into social media and i just um, love the energy yeah
0: so energy is right? just jumping out of the screen oh and, stop it and, and if someone was if someone wanted to bring that energy into their organization or engage with you jordan what's the best way for them to
1: to find you www.communicatewithconfidence.com.au also, any Instagram platform, I am there and I am very very active under Jordana Borenstein. The challenge is to spell my surname.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or oh, Lil Jordy, right?
2: Well, yeah. we'll make sure we we make sure we have it in the show notes. So.
0: Awesome. No, <laughs> thanks so much Jordana and thanks to our, our partners ICMI. You can also find Jordana through icmi.com.au, Momentum Media, Sean's Inner Circle, and Afterburner, afterburner afterburner.com or afterburner.com.au. Thanks, Jordana. Thanks for sharing with our listeners what it takes to be one of the few.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: This has
2: been The Few Podcast with Boo and Sean. If you've got value from this episode and you would like to support us, please share it with your friends. If you're posting this on social media, use the hashtag The Few so we can see who's listening. The Few Podcast is recorded at Momentum Media in Sydney, Australia. To listen to more episodes, visit us at fewpodcast.com and make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. Dream big,
1: keep pushing, and one day you can become one of The Few. We'll see you next week.